Hey, everybody, and welcome back to your Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. recap podcast, Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. I'm one of your hosts, Jess, and I'm joined by your other host, Jared. What's up? Hello. Uh, we might have a short episode today. Uh, <laughs> this is a very internal episode, so not lots of like comic book stuff to talk about. But um, I don't know. I, I liked this episode. It was, it was very May-centric, which I can never... I can't get enough of. I love Agent May. Um, so I'm going to jump right in. Uh, oh, sorry. As a preface, uh, this is a recap podcast. We do discuss spoilers, so um, but we'll give you plenty of warning towards the end of the episode when we do start getting into spoiler territory. Uh, make sure you go check out Netflix because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., all five seasons that are available are on there. Uh, you can go watch through the end of season five and join us for the spoiler sections because we do discuss quite a f- like comics movies all kinds of stuff in there that we're uh that connect back to the episodes and definitely uh tie in spoilers so you definitely don't want to miss that all right season one episode nine titled repairs which i kind of don't understand why that's the title i feel like they could have titled it a lot of other things <laughs> but whatever <laughs> um written by marissa tantron and jed wheaton uh, directed by Billy Gearhart, originally aired November 26, 2013. The scene is set in Utah. There is a convenience store in a gas station, blah, blah, blah. Um, this woman walks in, she's trying to buy stuff, and the guy at the counter is like pissed at her, and he's like accusing her of like killing his friend, and she's like, That was my friend. You, you suck, basically. And she's upset, and she tries to leave. All of a sudden, things just start flying off the shelves around her, and uh, she's like, not again, not again. And then we look outside, and gas is flowing out of one of the pumps, and then there's a huge explosion, and the poor girl is sitting on the floor in the convenience store saying, not again, not again. Very traumatic. Uh, So now we're back in the hotel from the last episode in Ireland, and May is getting dressed while someone is in the shower. I wonder who that someone could be. It's Ward. He comes out in a towel <laughs> and starts talking about, uh, oh, we have a mission. Well, we sh- and he- Ward is talking about how they need to cover up that they slept together. And May just straight up walks out the door and Ward hears the door shut. And he's like, OK, I <laughs> guess that's how this is going to be. Um, back on the bus, uh, Coulson is talking about how Hannah Hutchins is a quality control agent at a particle accelerator that exploded and had four people die. And she is a possible telekinetic. Um, so they need to go in and do what he calls an index asset evaluation and intake that Sky makes fun of because it's another long ass title uh, like shield <laughs> that needs a shortened version. Um Colson is telling Sky that he wants her to come along and watch and learn. Um, essentially saying that he thinks that she should be the, uh, she could be an asset to this type of mission, um, which we see she is later on. Um, May, but he does tell her that May and Ward are the ones that are going to be coming along because they don't know the specifics around this, um, this, this Hannah Hutchins. So they have to, they have to have people along that can do damage control essentially. And Sky is like, really, you're going to bring warm and fuzzy along, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, May uh, is up on that, that upper 
I don't know what you call that, that upper part of the the cargo holds, the bridge, upper bridge, whatever. And she's like, okay, guys, wheels up in five. And Ward is like walking into the bus and she's like, you're late with no smile. And it's like, all right, this is how we're covering it up, I guess. We're just going to be normal. <laughs> Although slight speculation there. Yeah, like you said, like it is just being normal for her. Like like other characters I could see like they're overcompensating or whatever, but it's like this is just actually how she feels. Like she's just like whatever. Yeah, and I think Ward is a little put off because he's like, oh, we shared a moment and she's still being normal. <laughs> no, I do. I do. Again, like I'm always, as you've noted, I, I hate Ward. Yeah. I'm going to probably keep hating Ward forever, but he, uh, in that moment, like, you feel form a little bit because who wouldn't be like, Hey, I just, you know, I just fooled around with, uh, with Melinda May or, or Mingna. Like you'd be pretty proud of yourself. And then yeah. And she just shuts like, him totally, down. Yeah. Just, just icing you out. You're like, well, damn it. <laughs> like you gotta be all insecure and weird now on his, on his end. Like, yeah. No, he's, and he was trying to be so cool before, like you say, uh, like, yeah, we'll, we'll walk in at separate times so no one suspects. And she's, she's already out of the room. No, she's she's... like, I don't give a shit about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, and you don't get the feeling like he's in love with her or anything, but you know, his feelings are still hurt. It's cute. Yeah, it is kind of cute. It's like, oh, we had a connection, and clearly that meant nothing to you. Thanks. I, I, honestly, I feel like other than the kind of heavy stuff in the previous episode with you know his flashbacks and whatnot, uh, with the the berserker uh, staff and the trauma it like caused him to revisit. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I feel like this is some of the most human we've seen him, and, it, yeah. and it's like it's easier to, to take because it is like like a comic light moment. Even though it's it's real character development, it's not like dark and scary and heady. Yeah, that's true. It, I, I mean, I feel like the show does a good job of that too. There's like lots of light character building moments, and oh, for sure. We don't get a lot of that with Ward, though. I eh, actually, I, I feel like we get a lot of that more with Ward and Sky, and Ward and the kids. Not so much between Ward and May. So it's it's kind of nice to have that um, that I guess pairing. Um, Plus, in I like. This way. I, I I think I mean Ming Na's big break uh, here as far as TV and like recurring role was on The Single Guy mm-hmm. uh, on NBC. So it was like it was in a comedy role. And yeah. I think she does comedy really well, but like rarely is she asked to. Like especially mm-hmm. on, on this show, she's the straight man. So even if it is in a stri- still like in a straight man role, seeing her get like really good comedic moments is satisfying because yes. she's, she's super good at it. Even if it is just like giving him like a not even a dirty look, but just a cold look. Yeah. Like, well, and I mean, there is another moment in uh, I think it's episode seven, uh, the Hub episode where. Mm-hmm. Cole, she's doing like Tai Chi and Coulson's like venting to her and she doesn't even say a word and she's just doing her thing and then Coulson walks away and she just rolls her eyes it's just like <laughs> god <laughs> like she does how ha- she has good like she's physical good, comedy yeah and face acting too like she does a good job with that I just I love her so much I love the character and I love Ming-Na more Ming-Na and all the things um, alright so the team goes to Utah uh, and by the team, Colson, Ward, and May, everyone else is still on the bus. Um, and there's chaos. Uh, there is a mob outside Hannah's house, and the cops are there. Um, 
Colson, Ward, and May show up, and the, the crowd starts getting unruly. They're throwing eggs at the house. Hannah is clearly very upset. And a cop car starts up by itself and drives into the crowd, and everyone's jumping out of the way. Um, Ward and Colson are trying to calm everyone down, and Hannah's getting very upset. And May just straight up shoots Hannah with the night-night gun, which is like, whoa, uh, it feels like a little bit of an overreaction. Um, oh, I guess Fitzsimmons are at the particle accelerator. I forgot. Um, so they're uh, collecting data from, you know, the, the explosion that occurred. Uh, it seems like it's relevant to the situation. Might have caused Hannah's powers um, or as- assumed powers. And they start talking about how um, it sucks that Sky was never part of the Academy. Um, and she never and they actually acceler- they had like an accelerated situation. So they weren't at the Academy for very long. So they never got to do freshman pranks. And so they start talking about how they're going to start pranking Sky because she's essentially a freshman when they're very silly about it. <laughs> so which is becomes an ongoing thing throughout this episode, which is pretty funny. No, and just they're so <laughs> Uh, I mean, sometimes it's almost like grown eye worthy, uh, eye roll worthy for me because of how like I don't know how TV awkward they are. Yes. You know what I mean? But it is cute. Like again, like it is funny the way the way they're like, Ooh, we'll you know we'll we'll prank. Yeah, it feels like a Nickelodeon like teen show almost, where it's like we're gonna plot to do this thing. High five! (laughs) And and but like you, I do know like from both being a nerdy kid and like in junior high and quiz bowl and shit and teaching you know kids. Like I feel like it's not entirely unrealistic. It's just that the fact that they're adults who are good looking actors, (laughs) like you're like, come on. Like, why are you guys so socially awkward that you don't you don't even know what you're doing? But I know. Well, but, if you, if you think about it in show, though, they were like they're super super smart, and so they're actually super young for the work that they're doing, and so of course they're going to be like emotionally like younger and a little awkward and like unaware. So it kind of makes sense, and that definitely changes throughout the the rest yeah, of the show. It doesn't even read like false. It's just it, it, it's a little bit of like what we talked about before of that TV cheesiness, maybe. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just present. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, Fitz and Simmons are just two of those characters that are just super lovable, anyway. And so it's easy to overlook that kind of stuff. I think. Because- I, I agree, and I think this first season, the cheesiness factor is like up several notches. Like yeah. for the two of them specifically, like, yeah. I think like every every bit they get more developed, they become much more well rounded. Like again, they're introduced as. Fitzsimmons is <laughs> one thing. Like, like, like it's so so TV. The team like, of super scientists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Completely. But but uh, but they become fully realized characters pretty pretty quickly. I yeah. Think. Like there are there if you've watched as far with the detail we have, they already have in these nine episodes. If you're just casually viewing, maybe not. But. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so back on the bus, May is the one that Colson wants there to interrogate Hannah. And for a couple reasons, um, some of the reasons we're not completely sure of, it seems like uh May and Colson have this understanding of like what May can handle uh intake wise, and then also just in case something goes south with Hannah, May will be there to uh do damage control. Sky does not like this idea. She's very upset that May shot. Hannah in the first place and uh, just thinks that she's not the person for this job. Um, and she doesn't hold back and saying so. Uh, so Sky goes on this like hating on May rant around the, around the plane. So she's in the lab with 
Fitz and Simmons venting about it. And they decide to, this is a perfect opportunity to prank her. So they start telling her about the cavalry and give this ridiculous story about how she rode in on a horse and took down hundreds of enemy agents single-handedly. And you kind of like, for a moment, like, this might be a real story. And then Simmons turns around and she has this smirk on her face. And you're like, oh, no, this is a prank for for sure. <laughs> and then uh, Fitz is like pulling up that hologram table that they have. Uh, and they're like looking through the particle accelerator to look for clues. And Sky's look on her face is just like, oh, this is so cool. And she starts pulling stuff off the hologram. And Fitz yells at her and like smacks her hand. It's like, no, bad Sky. <laughs> just like makes her this moment. She's like, fine, I'll leave. I don't know, just the kids being silly. <laughs> um, so Coulson and May are talking to Hannah in the interrogation room, and they're asking her, like, you know, it's very odd that all these weird things are happening when you're around. You're, like, the common denominator here. And she's like, I think God's punishing me, and I'm haunted by demons, which, oh, Lord. There's a lot of religious elements in this episode that kind of make me roll my eyes. But, hey, whatever. People are like that. That's true. <laughs> so, so it's very realistic. Um, and also, like, when you don't really understand what could be happening, uh, like, that's something you would go towards, I guess. So the team is kind of discussing Hannah upstairs, and she's just, like, so fucked up. Like, just been through so much. She's super empathetic, and that's, like, making it even worse for her. And Coulson's like, well, you know, we got to we got to figure this shit out. And he starts to walk away and the camera stays on where he was standing. And there's a ghost behind him that like disappears into the ether, which is like, Oh my God, what the heck? Maybe Hannah's right. She was being it's haunted. One of the, one of the first kind of like cool things. I don't know. Like we've got, we've got some great sci-fi or whatever weird stuff going on, but I feel like this was a, it was something we haven't gotten yet on the show. Yeah. yeah and it was a, it, it was, an, it was a good reveal. Yes. And I really like how this turns into, like, from that moment, it turns into a haunted house episode where there's, like, this mis- mysterious, like, uh, paranormal element on the on the bus. And they're, like, there's all these clues that come up and they slowly figure out. And then everyone's attacked and locked inside rooms. And I, I like it. <laughs> I get the meaning of the overall title that will reveal itself, I guess, more as we get go through. But, but at the same time, I think... That's the fact that this is such a horror movie. I think maybe that's why Repairs feels underwhelming. Like it should have yeah. cool, it should have had a cool movie that sounded like like a horror movie but wasn't obvious. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be super like, I don't even know what it would be. But I, but you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it would have been cool to be to have it be a title that like, oh, once you've seen it, it makes more sense. I <laughs> like, agree. But as it is, it's just like, I don't know, it just feels super utilitarian and like not not wrong or bad, just but like this feels like an episode where a clever title would have been uh, well, well, well placed, you know, I don't yeah, know. Like something like I spy from like episode, like what right. was it for right. or something? Yeah. Like just it wasn't as clever as they wanted it to be, but at least they were trying. <laughs> uh, I just enjoy stuff like that. No, I imagine should. people sitting behind the scenes, just cracking up at themselves and that's how I am. So <laughs> I feel that. All right, so now the haunted house element kicks in. Odd things start happening around the bus. Uh, in Coulson, Coulson's office, one of his collectibles falls off a shelf when it was glued down. Ward is making a sandwich in the kitchen, and a knife goes missing. Also, in this in this scene, Sky goes to Ward to vent about May because she's on a, a May-hating rampage, and she says she needs to get laid, which Ward kind of pauses and is like, Ugh. 
what? <laughs> <laughs> and Ward also sets the record straight about the cavalry. Um, he says that May did not have a gun and it was only 20 men. Hmm. Uh, and now also weird stuff is going down in Hannah's room, like banging and the door's trying to open and she's freaking out because she's like, the demons are here. Um, Sky realizes that Tobias, who's one of the guys that died in the accelerator explosion, um, put in a lot of safety complaints in the weeks leading up to the explosion. Very interesting. Mystery is unfolding. So Fitz heads to the supply closet to do something, which I can't remember. I didn't write down. And he gets locked in and the ghost shows up. Oh, my God. Um, Simmons also Fitz is like looking at the broom and just stuff in the closet, trying to figure out things that he could prank Sky with. So he's like plotting as he's in there. Um, Simmons in the lab is playing back the footage from the explosion at the accelerator. And she sees that a portal was opened to an alien world, which is like, Whoa, so crazy. It's like a, you actually see like a planet in the hologram. Suddenly the ghost appears and smashes the hollow and starts attacking Simmons. Um, and Simmons starts screaming. And so she finally sees the ghost and realizes, okay, Hannah's not lying. Uh, ghost pulls the power on the plane and may has to make a quick emergency landing. Uh, Coulson tries to call for help on the emergency comms and he takes out or the ghost takes out the emergency comms on the, on the outside of the plane too. So they're stuck in the middle of nowhere on the ground. Yay. <laughs> so Coulson um, allows sky. And I think I I'm explaining this out of order a little bit, but it's fine. Um, I'm realizing that the comms thing happened a little bit later in an edit. But um, Coulson allows Skye to talk to Hannah through the cell door. And so she kind of sits on the outside. And she we see that Skye is actually very good at this and just helping calm Hannah down and empathize with her and let her know that, you know, they know that something's up and it's not her and something is haunting her, essentially. And she's, like, speaking to her about religion. And it's very sweet. And May is listening in on this moment and she interrupts it to have sky go help Colson fix the comms, which seems a little like it's proving sky's point about may being like heartless and cold and calculating and not really caring about other people, especially um, victims like this, which we kind of see later is not the case. So I don't know. It was an, it was a weird, weird moment I feel, but I mean like the comms did need to get fixed. Like, so whatever. <laughs> You need something to, to name this episode after. <laughs> right. Like, so, so, and, and, and we have to get Sky and Colson in the same room, too, uh, so just to further separate everyone, right? Um, very strategic. So um, Fitz is, like, still in the closet. And he's like, guys, did we crash? I'm locked in here. What's going on? He finally gets the closet door open, and he realized that a knife, the knife that Ward discovered was missing, uh, is wedged under the door. And he's like, what the heck? Um, so uh, Simmons and Ward are trying to go find Fitz. And Simmons is theorizing that a go the ghost is a man that's trapped between two worlds because a portal was opened during this explosion. And it's kind of mentioned that a lot of portals were opened um, right after the events of Thor, the Dark World, um, which we'll, we'll discuss in a little bit. Um, <laughs> they find Fitz and the ghost attacks and then everyone gets locked in the closet and Ward is knocked out. <laughs> um so Coulson and Sky are in his office working on the comms. And again, 
Sky complains about May to Coulson because she has to complain about May to everybody except for May. And he explains like, you know, don't call her the cavalry. That's not okay. And he explains the true story behind the cavalry. And that because of what happened in Bahrain, May lost herself. Like she used to be different. She was like fun and pulled pranks and was silly and she smiled a lot. And uh, Sky kind of suggests that he wanted her on the bus so he could try to find some of that old May again. And Coulson kind of mentions like after the situation in Bahrain, how he doesn't he didn't know what to say to her, but he said what he thought she needed to hear. And then suddenly the ghost attacks Sky and Coulson and takes out their radio and locks them in the office. So they're trapped in there with no communications at all. Uh, the ghost goes after May and May figures out what he's after based off of some of the things that Simmons saying to her. And she takes Hannah and leaves the plane. So they are walking around outside. She's like dragging Hannah through the woods <laughs> or through this field. Um the rest of the team figures a way, figures out a way to get out of whatever room they're locked in. Um, so Coulson has to destroy one of his collectible watches to blow the the fuse on the lock on the door, which he's very sad about. And they figure out how to get the power back on, open the closet door, and the mop that Fitz rigged as a prank pops out and scares everyone, and everyone screams, including Fitz, and he lets out this like high-pitched, ridiculous scream that's so hilarious. It made me laugh out loud so hard. And Gemma is just like, like, why would you do that? Like, there's a ghost on the plane. And he's like, this was before there was a ghost. <laughs> like, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a good moment. Um, Sky figures out that the ghost is Tobias and that he liked Hannah. And so he was trying to get her to come down all the time um, so he could see her. And now, essentially, he's trying to protect her. Um, so May is in a barn with Hannah and Tobias shows up, the ghost. May realizes what he's after after um, a beam almost falls on Hannah and he like stops the beam from falling on her. And he's she's like, Hannah, you have to tell him that I won't hurt you. So she says that and Tobias kind of stops and he explains everything on how he loosened the bolts in the accelerator so that she would come do safety inspections. And it was like the highlight of his day. And he essentially caused the explosion and he killed everyone. He feels horrible about it. And he's like, He's he thinks he's trapped in hell in between hell and earth. And he's like, you know, I I deserve this. And May gives this really like tense, emotionally charged speech, clearly coming from her own experience. And the last phrase that she says to him is let the girl go. And it's a really like knowing what we know of May's traumas because it is revealed fully what happens in Bahrain later on. It's a super emotional moment. I totally cried during this part because I was just like, oh, my God, poor Agent May. But um, Tobias does, I guess, I don't know the word for this, but he lets himself go into the ether and disappear. <laughs> and so the threat is eliminated. Um, she mentions that let the girl go is what Coulson said to her after Bahrain. So we know something happened in Bahrain with a girl that's like clearly fucked her up. So more of that mystery to be un unfolded later. <laughs> um, very last scene. The team is playing Scrabble 
and Gemma is winning, winning because she's British, apparently. Um, and Fitz comes out with shaving cream on his hand and his face. Clearly, someone played a prank on him. And no one is owning up to playing the prank. Everyone's like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Uh, cut scene to May in the cockpit listening in on the radio. And she's totally smiling. It was totally her that pranked Fitz. So, it's probably the best part of the whole episode. Yes, definitely. <laughs> like, like, and it's not a bad episode, but that's such a great moment. It is. It, 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 it shows that some of the old May is still there. So the silly May is still around that Coulson thinks is gone. So very cute moment. So, yeah, um, super glad that this is a May centric episode. We haven't had one yet. I think this is the first one and we get a little bit more into her backstory and just, I think we got a little bit of it last episode too, of, you know, her, her saying she sees this every day talking about the trauma and the memories that, that the, the berserker staff brought to brought to the front of her mind. And I think knowing, and we'll get into this in the spoiler section, but knowing what we know now through episode five, like super meaningful episode, I think looking back, um, and I think we'll talk about the rest in the spoiler section. I do want to talk about a little bit around the events of Thor 2, which I don't think we know the answer to this, but apparently other portals were being opened. Well, yeah, and they even... After? Uh, we mentioned uh, something that relates to that briefly when I talked about how uh, I looked up the ending of Thor 2 and they, they had the whole deal with Thor in the end credit sequence fighting a frost giant. Because the whole thing that happened in Thor 2 is there's this invasion from the... Uh, dark elves in their realm and and this guy Malekith, uh, who is played by um, Christopher Eccleston from Doctor Who mm. and uh, The Leftovers. And it's a really great actor. He was not that well used in, in <laughs> Thor 2. And uh, yeah, he, I think when they were like invading all these different realms, it kept opening up portals all over the different realms and all over Earth. And so that was, there's reference to that uh, being what caused it in this and i guess i guess it was like again yeah all yeah. i do is kind of like basically give a shot basically without saying go see thor 2 still in theaters in the episode they do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of amazing but. it is and there i mean this is a very like we said at the beginning it's a very internal episode like not a lot of i mean they're on the plane the entire episode pretty much except for like a short trip to utah and it's like a haunted house episode um there's a lot of meaningful stuff in here, which this could have been a filler episode. I think we have a lot of those situations where it could have been a filler episode, but there is good stuff. Team building. um, Also like there was, you know, directly related to the events of Thor dark world and then lots of stuff with may here. So overall I enjoyed it. Um, Also Fitz's scream when the broom jumped out or the mop just like made my day i <laughs> i totally had forgotten about that part and it just so good excellent um i think we can get into spoiler territory now um so if you haven't watched through the end of season five of agents of shield drop what you're doing pause this go do that and come back you have been warned okay so there's not a ton of like yeah there's like I mean, no, no comic stuff to get into here because it's all these are original characters yeah. uh the idea behind it doesn't really play into anything like like a lot of them if even if they're original characters something has to do with a theme or an idea that's repeated in the comics not so much here like yeah. it's not 
bad. Again, it's, it feels like the most disconnected both from the MCU, its own story and comics that we've gotten yet. Yeah, which is fine because it is its own show. And yeah, it while it has, yeah, and it has supporting source material and just supporting like inspirational material. Like it's nice to have a few things that are just itself. I mean, I, I believe too that they, they probably even came up with the story because of the idea of the portals, like trying to think of something to connect to yeah. Thor to, but also make it its own thing. And it's kind of cool. And even though we find it hard to like find a super like compelling reason to mention it or whatever at the same <laughs> time, like I, I believe that that's where it came from. And so they're trying to work with what they have and trying to work with this shared MCU concept, but also develop the characters they've introduced. And bottom line, we've got Coulson. And we've got, you know, all these characters now, I'm pretty sure, or ha- have at some point been in the comics. And, you know, uh, like I said, I think Gemma ends up a uh, Deathlock. So I'm not sure she's still around <laughs> even. Like, it's definitely changed. Yeah. But, you know, Coulson and, and uh, Sky slash Daisy you know, are important characters overall, I think, to Marvel. And, yeah. like, he doesn't have to directly reference something uh, to, to be part of it and to be a, uh, its own important episode of shield and the it's it's like even the movies you know they don't they don't follow things always sometimes mm-hmm. they, are, they are their own stories and their own thing yeah which i like um one thing i really liked about this what and i think a lot of shield episodes do this where they start the episode out making you think it's going to be one thing and it's going to be super straightforward and it ends up spinning off into this really like meaningful like character building character revealing moment about one of about someone i feel like the um i think it's episode six where it starts out like the firehouse stuff and you think it's just gonna be like oh you know we found this 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 thing and we eliminated it and then it turns into super crazy episode about Gemma and 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 fits and i feel like this episode kind of did that too like you think it's gonna be just about them finding this this asset and them figuring out what to do with her but it turns into this like like no one was really the bad guy here it was just like a series of unfortunate events essentially and then this poor dude is just trapped in between worlds and may is like the focus of the episode and like revealing more about her to us i guess so i really like how the the show does that like it Starts out you seemingly like oh mundane like mission style episode, but it turns into something more, and there's meaningful moments. And I feel like the more we learn about Agent May, the more I love her. Which duh, <laughs> but especially just in how she handles herself, like she has so much trauma buried so deep down. It's a, a really compelling part of her character, and. We that that do, we don't get to see, I guess, the falling out from all of that until I think season two, like towards the end of season two, if I'm not mistaken. And so this is a long, slow build for her character. And I like that what we're getting. I didn't realize we got so much stuff so early on. I didn't remember like hearing about this so soon. So I'm happy that we are, even though we're like almost halfway through season one at this point. But I don't know. It's good stuff. And I I don't know. It bothered me a little bit that Sky was kind of being the like petty underling, like complaining about her superiors <laughs> throughout this episode. And that's like how we got stuff revealed. I feel like that could have been done a little bit better. It just makes Sky look kind of petty 
but I don't know. Which I don't know. At the same time, I don't know. It does seem a little petty, but it doesn't seem like crazy. Yeah, I I just feel like they could have done it in a more clever way because it just feels very, very elementary. Um, but I mean, like Sky is the newbie, and so we are learning about things through her eyes. So that just makes I guess it makes sense for them to do it that way. I guess I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure. You, I, like I'm not overly defending it because <laughs> it's like I don't know. The only way they could have done it, or even the best way, it's like yeah. I've started to get really frustrated by that sort of attitude and discussion of both like stories and and development of film and television and like casting stuff mm-hmm. like with the whole idea of people being upset you know with the best person for the job thing Ugh. like that's not a thing no like, like there there isn't there's just a choice but like, like the whole like i i'm really glad that they have the opportunity to, to segue into you know uh a non sequitur that we both know about and i'm assuming most people uh, if you have any awareness of pop culture at all, you're somewhat aware of Star Wars and Carrie Fisher being in it and passed away. Uh, but if you are at all aware of actual Star Wars news and whatnot, you know that she's going to still be Leia in Episode Nine, and I think that turned out ideally because she meant so much to so many people. And that's like to me the closest thing to thinking of the right, the only person for a job, you know. But yeah. at the same time, like that's a very specific situation, yeah. and. Leia became connected to Carrie and Carrie is, you know, very connected to Leia and all this over time. But had she been played by somebody else, it would, the world would still exist. You know, it would be different than it is because she was a very powerful, I think, presence and human and had an important role in our society as far as like mental health conversation. Like she was more than just playing Leia. But at the same time, just theoretically, like it's not, there is no part that no other actor could play. That's nonsense. Mm-hmm. That's like, well, the story wrote itself. Like that's just saying things. That's just <laughs> it's just artful language. It's not anything real. And people start to convince themselves it is. And like I don't, like I don't know. Like well, it's not like storytelling is not real life. Like things don't just happen. Like someone sits down and intentionally writes something how right. they feel from their experiences and their talent, like how something should be written. Like you can change anything you want in a story. Cause there is someone with it that has that control. Like it's not yeah, like things just, just happen and progress. Like it's the same thing with casting decisions. Yeah. I think. And, someone is sitting there making that decision. And that's why it's so important to have diverse views and different types of people behind the creative process, casting directors, writers, like that informs so much of what you see on screen as far as representation goes and, and editing as well. Like so huge just to have those different viewpoints to see different sides of story. So we don't just get the same default white male cis view. Well, I I believe that my correct that both these episodes that we've talked about when we were recording today, that both this episode and the previous episode, that for our listeners, written by uh, women, sh- are, shield, are written by women and um, women of color, I believe yep. as well. Yep. And it's like that's important. There's, yeah. it's not a coincidence that this show has at this point, you know, in the first season, you know, two women of color, and where we leave off, uh, what three women of color and a, a a black man, you know, in the main cast. You yeah, know? and it's like a black man that subverts all those stereotypes that black men have. Yeah, too. literally every <laughs> everyone that the American culture kind of pushes on us. Yeah. He's he's like effortlessly destroys like yeah. the, like and and but without like feeling like it's a PSA, without feeling like he's not playing yeah. anything authentic. Well like yeah, 
hats off to the both uh every, everyone involved in uh in mac like <laughs> yeah. i we 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 love mac we stand mac on this show so much <laughs> it's true like it's it's an it's a known thing <laughs> henry simmons is really good and likable and i feel like like i don't know <laughs> i know that uh, actors aren't their characters and whatnot but i just i feel like both of us would like instantly trust Henry Simmons with our yes. lives if we hung out with him. I like, just be it's like, how, <laughs> it's how I feel about Chris Evans too. I know he's not Captain America, but he's just such a great guy, and I feel like he kind of is Captain America a little bit. No, <laughs> like and, and Henry Simmons definitely gives that same vibe. Like, yeah, it's just like, and he's not as you know involved in the public eye, but he's still just like in the interviews I've seen him do, he's really likable and mm-hmm. nice, and it's the same thing where it's just like. No, I believe he would protect uh, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I believe he'd be like, no one left behind. You know, no, no, no one dies like the Captain Kirk, uh, Captain America kind of attitude. Like, I, be- I believe that. So I do too. Good, good job on him, uh, on him portraying Mac for yeah. sure. Kind of going back to the whole like um, uh, best person for the job thing too. Just, I mean, we talk about this all the time, like on Twitter, and you know, we're a part of the group uh, that kind of facilitates hashtag SW rep matters. So we're always talking about representation in the star Wars universe, but I think um, Marvel has made strides more recently to fix their representation issues. Cause it's been 10 years and it was largely white and male <laughs> behind the camera. And I think they have diversified bit by bit and it's really paying off. I feel like they've gotten really great movies um, out of doing that. And it's like some of my favorite films, Ragnarok, Homecoming, and Black Panther are because they have pulled away from that model of just hiring the white dudes. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with white dudes. Like white dudes have great ideas, but that's all when that's all you've seen in the entire history of film and television you're only getting one perspective and there's way more stories that you could be telling with different perspectives. And these people just exist in real life. Like people other than white men do walk around and have lives and have stories to tell and have meaningful stories to tell. And that should be represented on screen. Um, But I think also when you get into the whole best person for the job, it is the privileged assumption that there is an even playing field. And we know that systemically that is not the case. Um, privilege is a term that it, it gives the implication that you have a step up, which if you are a white male and cis, you do. Um, Hollywood has largely only catered to that demographic, not only in marketing, but also in who they hire. And so you have to work, if you are a not a white cis male, you have to work twice as hard to get noticed, to get funded, to get, to even have the ability to do any type of like internship or assisting job where you get paid shit um, and still be able to work your way up through the system. Uh, a lot of people of color and women don't have that ability. Like they have bills to pay. Like a lot of people drop out because of sexual harassment. Um, Oh, and institutionalized <laughs> racism. And- yes. And uh, people thinking that uh, films and television that are helmed by people of color and women are a risk, quote, um, and don't think that it will make money when it has clearly been proven over and over that that's not the case. So there's right. this whole 
culture around. Well, I, f- I feel like uh, for everything you just said, we could be really uh, well epitomized by something that has happened in the last couple of months uh, in our neck of the woods, like in the Star Wars neck of the woods, making the comparison again. Uh, John Kasdan wrote <gasps> the least successful Star Wars movie of all time and is now writing the next Indiana Jones. He, he literally failed upward because he's yeah. a, a straight white man whose dad is is super famous yeah. and successful in the industry, and he and he's all also a straight white man. Yes, and, and he, it's like so the combination so he, of privilege of nepotism and just those advantages. Yeah, and like to put to to compare like his experience with like even Ava DuVernay, who like grew up in Compton and did not have the same opportunities that John Kasdan did. Like she has been she's been hugely successful in the past couple of years because but she has had to work like three times as hard because she did not come from the same she didn't come from the Kasdan family and like have that in that John Kasdan did like she's had to prove herself over and over and she's done a great job uh, yeah, she, and she's pulling she people up and an yeah. older brother who'd already had super successful films and television series yeah. before she'd ever graduated you know high school like, yeah and she has and one of the ways that like you're you can use your privilege as a white man is to pull people up with you that have not don't have those opportunities and ava has been doing an amazing job with that like in her show um queen sugar she's always pulling in new talent for directing and writing and in her films too she's she's pulling from different casting pools that like aren't just like known actors of color like she's also pulling up new people um trying to bring up talent that probably otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to be in like a feature film or be a writer on a show or have a directing opportunity. So that's like how you do it people. And also she recommended Vic Mahoney to be second unit director for episode nine for star Wars. Cause she's friends with JJ and was like, Hey, like hire my friend who probably wouldn't have had the opportunity otherwise. So it's not an you like to say just the best person for the job just completely ignores that there is not a level playing field and you can't to, to ignore that completely erases the issues that people of color uh, women women of color anyone that's marginalized has had to deal with when working in Hollywood and just existing in society in general and that's not cool so don't say that <laughs> yeah I think, I think it's I think it's a kind of a BS artistic like nice idea or whatever to begin with. And then for all the reasons you just said exceptionally well, like it's, it's offensive. It's beyond, beyond being like, just not, not even really right. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's, it's hurtful. And like, it's low. In, yeah. It's low key gaslighting too. It like is. you have to be intentionally ignorant to actually believe otherwise. Like, you, like I think you have to be very either unaware or if you are aware, you have to be actively like suppressing information yeah. and, and, and like not willing to see what's in front of you. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, I mean, oh God, it's, it's just the 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 assumption of it too. Whenever you know, we we, we talked about um, in the previous episode um, the Champions book and the character of Riri Williams and Ironheart being written by Eve Ewing, and like the response from the trolls in the comic industry oh, and the, the yeah. fans is assuming that she's not qualified. Like, yeah. What the hell? Like, like, come on, like, like. I, I said to somebody who was being really condescending to a friend of ours uh, on Twitter, like uh, telling them not to not to alienate Comicsgate because it will screw up, you know, their attempt to sell their own comic. It's like, who are you to tell anyone how to make a comic? 
Yeah. It's like most of these guys, even the ones who are trying to do it, they're not successful. And I don't want to like be a crazy, you know, super braggadocious dude or whatever, but I have worked with awesome people in comics. Like I tweeted out yesterday because uh, it was Batman Day when we recorded this uh, the day before. And my very first uh, job in comics was with Paul Dini and Shane Glines and uh, Stephen DiStefano, who worked on Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series and Batman Brave and the Bold. And like, I'm I'm proud of what I've gotten to do. I actually know how comic books are made. I lived with and worked for the editor-in-chief of a very successful comic book company. And uh, I, I know the ins and outs of it. And even I, like, I'm not going to... God... None of these guys are experts yeah. and, and none of them didn't have any idea how it actually works. They don't have any idea how, how it works to make a comic book, how it works to pitch a comic. They don't have any idea how it works to succeed as a comic book writer or how little they're paid. Like none yeah. of these people have freaking insurance. None of these people get by. They all have other jobs. Yeah. Like, 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 well, and- I noticed too, there's like a trend of like novelists and like Roxanne Gay, for example, has written World of Re- World of Wakanda. Like she, her, that's like she's a professor. She's also like a full time writer, writing other stuff other than comics. Like she's, comics is like a side gig for her. But I've noticed that like Eve Ewing as well. Like that's not her main her main thing. Like. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. It's like uh, Charles uh, Soule, who does a lot of Star Wars comics, uh, and I've worked with him as well at uh, at Oni Press. He has just finished, I believe, Letter 44, which is his big creator-owned sci-fi astronaut thing based Mm -hmm. in actual Earth and not, uh, you know, space fantasy stuff. Uh, Not exactly like his Star Wars work. And I think think it's being developed by sci-fi. It's being developed by something for television right now as well. But uh he writes like somewhere between six and eight comic books a month i think for the most part oh, wow that's a lot <laughs> and he plays and he, he he has a band that play that plays like gigs regularly in brooklyn and is a working attorney yeah like like nobody just makes freaking comic books if if, if they're a creator unless they are like the an insanely successful creator and those people don't just come out of nowhere and no matter who they are no one handed them their job. You know, if it's, uh, you know, Kelly Sue DeConnick or Brian Bendis or uh, Mark Wade or whatever the, you know, whoever these guys are, whether it's a, a man or a woman or whatever, like they're, they're working, you know, yeah. they're trying to do their job. And it's just really offensive as someone who actually worked with comic creators all the time to see people mm-hmm. get second guessed and just, I guess it's just armchair, you know, bull like these guys who are trying trying to evaluate something and it's not like criticizing a movie when you because I, I, I hate i hate the argument you can't criticize something if if you've never made it because that's stupid yeah sure you can like, like like everyone should be able to critique comic books but don't pretend that stabbing a comic book literally every time you see a depiction of a woman who you feel whose breasts aren't large enough stabbing them and then making a youtube video of it that's not criticism. There's no. no world in which that's criticism. And then for the same people to then have the audacity to try to talk down to someone and use respectability politics to pretend they're giving them advice when it's actually a veiled threat about not catering to them, like it's insane. <laughs> the, the way comics have, have have gone, I feel like it's a great microcosm of all badness and fandoms, like because yeah, well, a small I mean, community. Like I, I talked about this on. On a, I was a guest on a Star Wars podcast, uh, and it was around the Kelly Marie Tran 
op-ed in the New York Times and just like how like Gamergate and Comicsgate and the racism and uh, neo-Nazism and white supremacy that we see like in mainstream politics as well is all connected. And it's like, yeah, it's bleeding into all of our fandoms and it links directly to like what's happening nationally and not to get like super political because that's not the purpose of this podcast, but um, everything is political. So we have to talk about it. And it's, you can't separate the two. Like they're linked. Like the behavior that we see like through the lens of national politics informs and is a basis for what we see happening with Comicsgate and people getting pushed out and, um, some comics writers almost losing their jobs or getting or losing their jobs because they're women or people of color or they're, you know, queer. And like, how can you not connect the two? How can you say um, best person for the job or I don't want politics in my comics when all of that stuff has always been political? And just the mere fact that there are people that create this stuff makes it political and makes it connected <laughs> to the greater world. Just... Uh, destroys me nuts that you can just will be willfully ignorant about the goings on around all of this stuff and just think that it's just happening in a bubble or that you can just push people out and gatekeep creators <laughs> because you don't feel catered to like how many years of comics have there been where it's just all white dudes like even the avengers is all white dudes at this point on in the MCU, like and one woman. Yeah, so. barely. You know, like, like with you know, she is, hasn't and, gotten a movie. You know, she. Uh... Yeah, but and it's played by a problematic actress that's been known for accepting roles that whitewash Asian characters. So it's like... al- almost making a movie where she played a trans character. Yeah, you know? it's like you know, so... and, uh, based on a real person. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, like making it. I don't know. They're all, it's all very offensive, <laughs> but like, 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 but like legitimately like offending someone's memory who has like people that have survived them and who, who they matter yeah. to. It's, it's bad. I mean, thank God she turned it down, but just like the, even the backlash from that. Like, that's like, the only reason she turned it down. Yeah. Well, and also just the backlash of her turning it down. Like I forget who it was, but they were, they were tweeting about how, well, now the movie isn't going to get as, um, as much attention or as much funding or whatever, because, you know, a, a big name actor isn't going to be playing this character. It's like, wow. Like, <laughs> wow. Well, I also, uh, it's like, that's true. I get, I get why people have those fears and stuff, but, but that it's all based on fear. Like it's all about marketing and about zeitgeist and just lucking out. Like there is no way to predict a super yeah. successful film well, because none of her solo movies have done as well as anyone expected. Exactly. Well, and also it goes off the assumption that marginalized um, creators are a risk or even creators or actors are a risk. And I mean, when it puts undue pressure on any of those projects, like it, yeah. it, people are always treated as if, if this isn't successful, like, like this goes back to what I was just thinking, just saying and mentioning about Kazdin, but it's like, if, if, uh, if hidden figures wasn't successful, then it might have been harder for, for them to continue to push, you, you know, uh, kind of, kind of more and more films have been coming out where we have, uh, large women-led casts and large mm-hmm. uh, women of color. Like uh, Ocean's Eight may not have happened 
had uh, Hidden Figures been as successful, you know, in, yeah. in, a we- in a weird way, even though they're not directly related, but just uh, you know, you know, um, what's the um, girls trip might not have happened. Like, mm-hmm. like it's it's weird to think because they're not directly following one another, but at the but same time, executives and investors are looking at trends for yeah, like funding. They, they, they see all stuff. woman movie and they're going to put them all in the same category, even though they're yeah, very right. different films, exactly. probably very different audiences. Although, I mean. I'm sure there's significant overlap, but at the same time, that's true for everything. It's yeah. like, you can't look like, oh, look, 30% of the same people saw Avengers that saw, you know, uh, whatever, The Conjuring. Next, yeah. Our next <laughs> movie should be a horror movie. Like, that's not going to work. But yeah. uh, at the same time, successful, yeah, successful movies don't have to fit one thing. And I think that that's the best thing for the push for diversity uh, on screen and off, like it, whether it's the MCU or more shows like Netflix shows and hopefully – Shield going forward and other things like like, like I I think that, that they can't deny it anymore. You know, like yeah. all, all these movies get out being humongous uh, and being financially successful. Black Panther being just so crazy successful in just this last month. You know, searching and Crazy Rich Asians and although it wasn't a box office thing, the viewership on uh, to all the boys I've loved before. Like yeah, they people want to see stuff from 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 not just straight white dudes. <laughs> yeah. like, you wanna, every, every one of us wants to see uh, stuff from other, other people. I think like, unless you're a racist asshole, <laughs> you, you're not, you don't even care. Like as far as, even if you're not like but, super into it, you know, even if you're not super passionate about seeing diverse voices, then you, for most people I know, I feel like they just, they're fine with it. They're like, Oh, that looks interesting. I'll check it out. Like, yeah. Oh my God. That reminds me. If you haven't seen, sorry to bother you, you should go see it. It's not, it, it's <laughs> like, I feel like the, one of the things that, uh, one of the arguments that I hear a lot is, well, if it's like a, per, a, a, a story that's coming from a person of color or a woman, I'm not going to relate to it. So I don't want to see it. Um, sorry to bother you. If you are any kind of working class person that works in corporate America, you will find something to relate to in that film. It is absurd and crazy and uh, go support uh, black filmmakers and black creatives and black actors. Go watch that film uh, wait for it to come out on DVD, whatever, just support it. Cause it's nuts. And that's that argument is just nonsense because like how many, how many white people do you know that listen to hip hop? <laughs> like you right. think that you can relate to any of the gangster shit that, uh, hip hop artists like rap about like, no, but <laughs> you find something in that artistic, like realm that appeals to you because you're a, a human being and you have the capacity to have all kinds of experiences appeal to you and to find empathy there. And that's what this is all about. <laughs> Finding empathy so we can make changes on a bigger scale. Sure. <sighs> and I think, I feel like it's weird because I remember when it started without knowing anything about the show uh, beyond a little pic, a very small picture being released on some comic news website with the full cast when they made the announcement. Yeah. Like, like, and just thinking like, Oh great. Like, because it was a small picture and, and Chloe Bennett was someone who I wasn't familiar with at all at the time. Cause he wasn't, she wasn't really a big name here. I don't think mm-hmm. like in that, no, I think this is like her breakout role. Yeah. So in, in that picture, I did not uh, get a clear enough picture. I think to pick up on the fact that 
she is biracial, you know? So mm-hmm. to me, it looked like a bunch of young, great looking white people and, <laughs> and Clark Gregg and, 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 uh, uh, and uh, yeah. who I liked both of them, but I was just like, this is what shield is going to be. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like, and now, you know, looking at it and now it's got, you know, Daisy and, uh, and Yo-Yo and Mac and it's like, and, and May and like overall, it's one of the more diverse casts on television, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, at least on mainstream network television. that's outside of like a CW show. Like it is, it is one of the more diverse casts. So, well, that in a uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is pretty good. And, yeah. and there's, they're, they're getting better. And I, and I enjoy that. Like it's weird. I guess NBC is one of the better ones too. Like, but I, I don't know. I, I just hope that, we continue to improve. Like it feels like we're making gains and it's, it's slow. Like you said, Marvel's doing well, but it's also been 10 years, you know, and it's yeah. taken them a long time. People complain it when there's the DC versus Marvel thing. It's like, Oh yeah, well they did wonder one quick. It's like, eh. mm. <laughs> there's all sorts of ways to look at that. But, but yeah. like, if you look at it, like, okay, well uh, Marvel's very first movie, you know, coming out under uh, Marvel studios which is, you know, what they own is Iron Man. And that's what, 10 years ago. And it's taken this long to get, uh, uh, get the Marvel out. That's true. And But you could first- also say that, like, with DC, the, all of the heroes are still essentially white. Like, even in, I didn't even watch Justice League. I apologize to DC fans. I just am DC burnt out. <laughs> um, but, like, the black character, I heard, and I can't say this from experience. Maybe you can elaborate on it. But he wasn't given, like, a lot of great, story time in that I, film. I, I have not seen it as well, but I've okay. heard similar things and I do know, I don't and know, it, like it's it's cool. I'm very hopeful for the Aquaman movie. Uh, I hope yeah. it's good. Um, James Wan is good and he's cool. Like like Momoa is fun, mm-hmm. likable. So I'm, I'm very hopeful for that. But like I was going to say, like not just in their shared, un- sure, it, it, you can compare the shared universes, but the very first Warner Brothers produced DC movie was Superman the motion picture. Yeah. So we look at if you want to look yeah. at it that way, they've had forty years to get a woman on screen, <laughs> yeah. and like 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 in, I don't know, maybe it's not not genuine or whatever. But at the same time, you still then you go back to Batman, Batman Begins, like 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 yeah, you still go back to where all of this started with the current uh, sets, sets reboot of producers culture and, pe- and people yeah. in charge. Like yeah, it's a different actor playing Batman, but Christopher Nolan produced Man of Steel for a reason. If he was still around and he pushed for it, Bale would have come back to do Batman versus Superman. But he backed out after Man of Steel because he didn't want because he because he just wanted the paycheck. He didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. He, yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I guess my, my overall point is that Marvel has maybe ta- not gone as fast as we would have liked, but there's been like steady momentum forward in the past several years and it makes me hopeful that we're going to continue to go yeah, it definitely makes me hopeful too. But I mean, we are still allowed to criticize like what we do see and ask for more. I think that, you know, we love we love these films and these characters and we love the comics and, you know, same with other franchises. Like that's why we want it to do better because we want to continue loving it because I don't want to leave Star Wars. I don't want to leave Marvel. <laughs> like I want to continue loving it and enjoying it and seeing people that look like me on screen and behind the camera. Um and people that don't look like me. So same. So I think that ends our our rant on 
Yeah, this, this on talk, representation. Brief talk on on, on uh, episode nine of season one of Shield, followed yeah. by an equally lengthy uh, discussion of what best person for the job. BS. Yeah, it is BS. Don't say it. It's rude. It erases actual like struggles that people have dealt with in the it's industry and worldwide. It's not a real think, thing. Think it's gaslighting. It. <laughs> it's abusive. Don't say it. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Watch Shield. Listen to our podcast. Um, yeah, get, get caught up. Watch, <laughs> watch it through season five uh, or whatever four on a uh, on Netflix. I think it's. I think season five is up on Netflix already. Ooh, yeah, I think so. Um. So yeah. Um, anyway, you can listen to me and read me rant about representation on Twitter at Space Jess with four S's in the Jess. <laughs> and uh, I am also on Twitter ranting about a lot of the same stuff, but also a lot of other like really stupid stuff. <laughs> same. <laughs> um, and I snow nothing on Twitter. And uh, yeah. You can follow the pod um, on Twitter at Project Tahiti, or you can send us an email at projecttahitipod at gmail.com. And thank you guys for listening to this shorter synopsis and discussion and longer discussion on representation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's fine. That's why we're here. Um, But yeah, thanks for listening to Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. Catch you next time. Bye.